Well, there's um, this story that is told about a church. It's about a church in which they've, they've hired a new pastor, but the new pastor isn't there yet. Um, you might have heard this story before. Don't stop me, please, but um, I'll tell the story, right? So the, the only people who have met this new pastor, the only people who have, have seen this new pastor with a search committee, everybody else is waiting to welcome the new pastor. And so the church has gone all out. They've decorated everything. And everything is perfect. Everything is sparkling clean and pristine and ready to go. Well, I should say it's all perfect except for one thing. This was a downtown church, and from time to time, a member of the homeless community would stop by asking for help. And on that day, this happens. This guy walks in, and he is dressed in raggedy clothes, and he smells as though he hasn't showered in a few days. And the congregants, they try to get him to go away. They offer him $5 and point him towards the local shelter and say, we need you to, to move on today. Because they need him to move on, or else things won't be perfect for the new pastor. They won't look pristine and elegant. They won't look perfect. So finally, the man leaves, and they are ready to welcome the new pastor. And so as church began... The congregants, dressed in their nicest attire, eagerly wait for the pastor to walk up to the pulpit and begin the worship service. And then, and I think you probably see where this is going, they are shocked when they saw the homeless man who had been there earlier walk up to the front of the sanctuary and welcome them to worship. This man who had been sent away just moments earlier walked into the pulpit to greet the members of his new congregation. You see, it was a test. Now I'm going to, I googled the story. It didn't happen, right? But it's a fun story. And I think it's fun because it kind of speaks to, to, well, first of all, it could have happened. I think we could all imagine this happening. I can imagine this happening. But, but the moral is so strong that it makes sense to us. Sometimes we fall into this trap where we, we get an image of the way we think things are supposed to be, what they're supposed to look like, about what proper means or what status we ought to have. But Jesus, in showing us how to love, reveals that our own desire to be seen as acceptable, acceptable by others actually gets in the way and that sometimes we have to be willing to follow Jesus into, way, into places that are way out of our comfort zone. And as we're going to hear in our scripture today, following Jesus, following Jesus means that, that we try to help others see God through us. And sometimes that requires that, that we do things that might be below us or outside of what we think of even as appropriate. So let's listen to our scripture for today. This is from John chapter 13. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. And if God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am only with you a little longer. 
and you will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, may God bless this reading. So even though we're past Easter, um, the lectionary, the kind of schedule of scriptures that that pastors use, um, has given us this passage for this week, which is pre-Easter. And so we're going back to the Last Supper, to Jesus' last meal he shared with his disciples, and Jesus is going on a very long talk about what his ministry has been. And I think this makes a little bit of sense for us as the church. In this period after Easter, we are moving towards Pentecost and the, and the birth of the church. And so asking the question, what was Jesus' ministry about, makes a little bit of sense for us today. You know, how do we understand our role in witnessing to what Jesus was about? What does the church do? And so during this last supper, this last meal with his disciples, Jesus turns to the knowledge about God. And it is something that he has. The son knows the father. Jesus has complete knowledge of God. And then Jesus makes clear to them that his disciples can't go with him. They don't get to know the father in the same way, at least not at this point. And then Jesus gives this final commandment that they love one another. And I think that there's a reason these two go together. In all of the letters that are ascribed to a John in the New Testament, one of the things we get constantly and over and over and over again is that God is known through love. In fact, it is John who writes that God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. It's a scripture from 1 John. And so these farewell discourses from which our passage comes today, this is instructive. Because Jesus knows God in a way that we can't know God. But that doesn't mean we don't know God. Actually, if we know love, we know God. And we know what love looks like because Jesus has shown us what love looks like. And so what does it look like? You know, our passage today comes from this, right after this action Jesus takes to show his disciples love. So Jesus is sitting at dinner with his disciples. Uh, This is right before our passage. And Jesus takes a water basin and fills it with water and he wraps a towel around his waist, and he washes his disciples' feet one by one. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, this is what I mean by love. This is what it looks like. And that moment for the disciples must have been shocking. In fact, I think we know it was shocking. How can a man of this kind of status, our teacher, someone who was this important wash someone else's feet. This is beneath him. 
But Jesus insists that regardless of all of those things, he must serve his followers. And we know they were shocked because Peter, Peter says, no way am I going to let you wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. This gets even more radicalized in the next passage in which Jesus foretells his own death and he even dips a piece of bread in the wine and hands it to his betrayer, Judas. And he does this right after he washed Judas's feet, a sign of love. And so we know God because we have seen the love of Jesus. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is that other people are going to know God because you love. And what does that look like? It looks like serving others regardless of your status. You think you're too prestigious or too elevated or too good? Or that you're holier than someone else and you don't need to serve? Well, Jesus served. Jesus showed love through a radical act of service in which he humbled himself and gave himself for the sake of others. Like Paul reiterates this really well in the letter to the Philippians. He says that Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. Right? Jesus was the only person in history who was able to say, yeah, I'm like God. And yet, the way he lived did not look like we consider godly life. And so we know God because Jesus has loved us. And others know what that love looks like by seeing Jesus in us. But they only see it if we follow Jesus' example. People will see God if we act like Jesus giving up the desire for status or prestige for the sake of others. If we stop trying to maintain appearances and instead try to embody the love of Jesus, which requires sacrifice, then we will be able to witness to God's love. And that's a little bit risky. You have to take a chance on that. Because it is so much easier just to maintain appearances, to cling to what we have, to show love, but within the bounds of our own social status. You know, maybe we're willing to to support others in their service. But are we ready to tie a towel around our waist and wash the feet of others? And, And not just wash the feet, like the stinky, smelly, have been wearing their sandals in the sand feet of others to not be stuck in needing to keep up appearances. Because we we know that night when Jesus washed their feet, there were a whole bunch present who said, what in the world is Jesus doing? I don't know that I can trust a man who's willing to get that dirty, who is God and yet doesn't claim a throne. That's not what God is supposed to do. Because we respect people with power people who have positions, 
But true love requires that we risk all of that. Because there is something risky about announcing the love of God, and there is something risky about acting out of the love of God. So what we learn from Jesus' ministry is that often doesn't look like what we expect. It catches us off guard. It's because we have all of these images of what God is like, powerful, omnipotent, and glorious. And if we're honest, what we really think about God doesn't always line up with Jesus' ministry because his ministry is way too messy for the status we give to God. And sometimes our God is just a little bit too stuffy, demanding perfection or performance. Meanwhile, Jesus is kneeling with a towel around his waist, washing these feet. We know God is above that, and yet, what we learn from Jesus is that the only way people see God is if you go and do likewise. You know, all of this reminds me of something that the Episcopalian bishop, Gene Robinson, once said in an interview. Um, he said, it's funny, you can preach about a judgmental and vengeful and angry God and nobody will mind, but you start preaching a God that is too accepting, too loving, too forgiving, too merciful, too kind, and you're in trouble. And I think he said this in part uh, because often our picture of God is of a disciplinarian. God has to keep up appearances, and so certain things must not be accepted. But there's another reason I think Robinson knew this and knew about this firsthand, and that's because in 2003, Gene Robinson was elected as the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopalian Church. And so it was a person who knew what it meant to not be accepted and then to find God's love in a place where it wasn't really expected. Because he tells this story about how he grew up in a, in a church with a more theologically conservative bent. And so he had to spend a lot of his life trying to live into these, these rigid confines of polite society. So he kept his sexuality under wraps. He did his best to suppress it. He went to therapy and tried to live as a straight man. And he actually even got married. And he was very upfront with his wife about his feelings, and they decided that they thought they could get beyond it, that he could suppress his desires and they could have a happy life together. So these two were married for many, many years, and they had two kids together. And then at some point, he realized that it was too much. So in his interviews, when he talks about this, um, he shares that he realized it wasn't just him that wasn't being fulfilled in their marriage, it was his wife, Boo, as well. And that she wasn't receiving the kind of love that she needed. And so the couple did something that, that people often think of as taboo, you know, as something that you should avoid at all costs. Um, they got a divorce. But it's a beautiful story because they got the divorce not because they didn't love one another, but because of how much they loved one another. And I think this was a really risky move that shows us what risky love is like. Because the truth is, the church has done and said a lot of bad things to members of the LGBTQ community. We know that. 
But man, if you want to find another community that the church has not always been nice to, folks who get divorced. And so Robinson and his wife decided that the most loving thing they could do for one another, regardless of whether or not it was deemed appropriate, was get divorced. And so they went through with the process, got the paperwork, went to the judge, and then they did something really beautiful. They had a religious service together, a divorce service together, in which they got together with a priest and their loved ones and their family, and they talked about their love for one another, and they gave their rings back and dissolved their wedding vows and released one another to go be fulfilled in their relationships. And they have since been remarried. And they continue to raise their children together and are good friends. But in so many ways, their story is a story of realizing that sometimes love means moving outside of what the world deems acceptable. That we sometimes have to give up our status our need to be presentable and instead simply do the thing that serves others. Just do the thing that is loving. You know, love requires us to question our own motives. Why do we do the things we do? Is it because you're supposed to do them? Is it because it's always been done that way? Is it because we want to fit in or to be seen as correct by the world? Or are we doing it to be more loving, to serve the needs of others? And in so many ways, this is what that farewell discourse of Jesus teaches us. Jesus does not fit the mold of a man of God he approaches the wrong people. He is too generous with folks who don't deserve it. And on top of all that, he washed the dirty, smelly feet of his followers. That's just not what a Messiah is supposed to look like. But that's kind of the point. Some of the things that we consider proper and appropriate are not very loving. And some of the things that are loving are not very appropriate or proper. And we have to decide which we do. And the way we figure it out is you watch Jesus. And the more that we are able to model the love of Jesus, the more we are able to empty ourselves of our own desire to be right and proper, the more the world will see God through us. So we always have to be asking ourselves the question, what are we holding on to that is blocking the world from seeing Christ in us? What preferences or roles do we play that keep the love of Christ from shining through us? Because loving like Christ lived, loving like Christ loved means taking a risk. A risk that you might do something beneath you, that you might be looked down on, that, that you might be somebody who isn't proper all the time. But to not take the risk, to not examine our lives 
in our practices. That's to avoid the possibility that God, somebody might see God through us. That they might encounter the love of the one who is so big that that love led him to a cross. They might not see the love of the one who, who is so, so dedicated to love that he would bless one who would betray him. Whose love was so big that it made more room at the table for more people. Because what we hear in the Gospel of John is that only Jesus knows the Father. But we know Jesus. And so we know what the Father is like. And so are we willing to risk the love that would be required to reveal God? To reveal the love of Christ to the world so that others through us might see God? Amen.